This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3100 for Friday the 19th of June 2020. Today's show is entitled For Your Consideration, Maker's Corner, and is part of the series Podcast Recommendations. It is hosted by Ken Farlun and is about 76 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is, Maker's Corner is a tech-oriented DIY podcast from the Other Side Podcast Network. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hi everybody, this is Ken bringing you a recommendation for a new podcast. If you're into making or hardware hacking and integration with uh, Raspberry Pis, Arduinos, soldering, that sort of thing, then Maker's Corner with Nate and Yannick is a podcast for you. It's a tech-orientated DIY podcast from the Other Side Podcast Network. They've released a few shows already. Uh, I must say that I was very slow to subscribe to this one, but I rapidly caught up and it is an excellent podcast and I'm glad to bring it to you today, especially as they are having an interview with John and Phil about the 32 Built project. Also features some headphone stuff. So this is not a typical episode that they do, but I thought that uh, it would be an ideal opportunity to expose this interview because it's very interesting to the HPR audience. So their website is makerscorner.tech. And sit back and relax and enjoy the rest of the show. This podcast is part of the Other Side Podcast Network. Welcome to Maker's Corner episode 4. My name is Yannick. I'm the French guy from Switzerland and joining me for this episode, as always, my friend and co-host, uh, Nate. Hello, Nate. How are you? Great. How are you doing? Well, um, the um, snow is back, but um, the, the daylight is back too. So uh, all in all, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a, a little better than I was a few weeks uh, back when I was uh, driving to work in the dark. So the, the mood is, uh, is better. And uh, and we have a, a fantastic show tonight. So it's, it's harder to fall asleep when you're driving if it's light out. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Which which is something that almost happened <laughs> during uh, every morning of the winter. So <laughs> yeah, those, those winter drives are something else. Yeah, mm, yeah. On tonight's show, we have uh, that interview with John and Phil that we talked about uh, on last uh, our last episode that. Um, uh, couldn't 
happened before uh what was it last uh thursday i think we recorded that um so we are on uh, march the third today so we recorded that um, i think the uh, 29th of february i guess um so we're going to feature this interview uh in this episode uh also we're going to uh talk with you nate about uh what you've been up to this fortnight uh and then we will close the episode with the thingiverse thing of the episode so uh nate what have you been up to this past uh two weeks i've been learning electronics with my oldest boy he's almost nine and he's taking this electronics engineering class and it's been a lot of fun uh, kind of relearning some things that I have forgotten and then uh, and working with him on teaching him how to properly do circuits. You know, we've got, we've got a, you know, some breadboards and uh, it's, it's a, it's a plan because emi.co is the, um, is the website that is kind of through, but it's, it's part of his schooling. And uh, <clears throat> there's a, uh, it's been, so this last time it's, we went from just having very simple circuits with switches and, and LEDs to now we're doing uh, like with uh, doing stuff with transistors now. And mm-hmm. I got to explain to him like this little you know, PNP and NPN transistors. Sometimes they're hard for me to grasp at times, like you know yeah. when, <laughs> when they pull down or how how to pull them down. Or anyway, um, but it's funny to think about like how many millions or maybe billions of those transistors are in you know. a phone or computer it's just amazing to think about it's amazing how just you know how far things have gone you know when when you look and you just kind of pause and you think about the uh the the vacuum tube how that was the precursor (laughs) to the transistor and how big that is and then the transistor got a lot smaller they started packing these things tighter and tighter and tighter and now we have i mean now they're so millions extremely tiny and and I know it's it makes me really appreciate all the uh all the, the technology we have today and how awesome you know um pick your poison raspberry pi arduino yeah. or lit 32 um what what amazing technology we have today that we can play with and and uh I don't know I'm going to mumble yeah. a little I'm, I'm going to ramble here on but <laughs> it's, it's just it's amazing to see all that we can that we have now compared to what it was just you know twenty years twenty thirty years ago, and uh, there's just a lot lot more appreciation that I can I can re garner just from doing this electronics class with you know with my with my eight year old. So did you did you yourself learn something with this uh, electronic uh, electronic course? A little bit, yes. I mean, these are things I already kind of know, but yeah. it's nice to have kind of the reformalization of the education because I'm pretty much self taught on most of it. And I did take an electronics yeah, class in, in high school. You know, that was, let's see, the 1990s was five years ago, right? Yeah. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> five years ago. So there's, um, and there, you know, those, those classes there. And I, and I, and I built circuits and I've, I fixed things and, and whatnot. So I understand the concepts and I have the multimeters and, and whatnot. I don't have an oscilloscope yet, but that is, that's something that every mad scientist really needs to have. But, um, but exactly. So, that's something I, uh, I've put in my uh, wish list for, uh, last Christmas, but, uh, Santa didn't bring it. Yeah. No. Well, maybe you weren't good enough. <laughs> maybe, or maybe I just didn't buy myself one. <laughs> it must be fun to be able to uh, follow along with your kid. So I guess he's, he's learning from school, so you you're learning things, but probably you're teaching him also stuff, and that that, should, that must be very uh, uh, it is very nice for you. 
you know, teaching you things like, you know, uh, circuits in parallel and circuits in series and whatnot. Those, yeah. Just a lot of little basics. And yeah. and he, he enjoys it. It's, it's fun for him. He's excited to do it. And I told him, you know, once we get through this next round of, of projects, then we're going to take apart his broken tablet and we're going to, and, and see if we can actually get that thing cool. working again. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. But at, at the end of the day, you know, that those, those, uh, parallel and, uh, and, uh, series, uh, circuit circuits and, uh, ohms low, it's basically all you need to do some electronics. <laughs> so pretty much. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be tearing into any chips, you know, but if you can get the, the stuff, if you can understand the things around the chips, you know, the, mm-hmm. all the resistors and, and, and capacitors and everything else, then that's kind of the, uh, I mean, that's all the foundational stuff to be able to, you know, fix stuff yourself. So, yeah. Once you know how to do a RC circuit, uh, or when you know how to do a voltage divider, um, you're pretty much, uh, you have, uh, all the basics you need. The world is opening. Yes. <laughs> um, on, on, on my side of the Atlantic, um, I was busy this week, uh, well, playing with the, uh, 32 bit. Um, I I uh, reflashed the, uh, the the firmware because uh, I I think it was last month since I uh, I did that and a lot have changed as you will hear in the uh, in the interview uh, in this uh, last month. So I did that. I I had a look at the uh, at the code. I joined the uh, the Discord server. Uh, and I met a, a wonderful community there. Um, I also submitted uh, a couple of pull requests, uh, nothing fancy, just uh, uh, fixing uh, uh, a, a problem with a, a sample and uh, fixing uh, some, you know, some displays that were not uh, exactly as they should be. Uh, just, just you know, to kind of dip my toes into the in, in the water so, just to see. Uh, how this thing is working, and now I'm uh, I'm exploring the uh, the APIs, um, and this thing is uh, is really amazing. It's an awesome device, uh, but I will let uh, Phil and John from Pimori uh, to tell you all about that in uh, the interview. Uh, so I guess we're going to uh, go to the interview now, and then we will uh, come back to close this episode with the uh, Thingiverse thing of the episode. So I'm uh, joined tonight with uh, by uh, John and uh, Phil. Good evening, guys. Hey, Good evening. evening. Um, so you you guys uh, work for Pimoroni, and uh, we are going to talk about the project that I like. In a, well, I like all your, of your project, but the one <laughs> that I, I'm I'm really um, into right now, and I have I have it there. I'm going to show it on the camera. Hey, yeah, that's the uh, the beta version. Or is it, yeah, beta early access? I don't know how you call that. Of it's, the, yeah, um, it's beta. beta. Yeah. It's beta. A beta unit of the 32-bit platform. Um, we talked about that on the podcast um, two weeks ago, two episodes ago. So why don't we start by a, a small introduction? So guys, if you want to introduce yourself, maybe John, if you want to start. Yeah, sure thing. I'm uh, John Williamson, and I'm one of the co-founders of Pimeroni. So I started the business with Paul Beach in 2012, and since then, it's kind of grown into an uncontrollable beast that makes lots of PCBs. <laughs> and uh, 32-bit is kind of our latest, m- most ambitious project. Uh, and I'm Phil Howard, and I sort of joined, what was it, seven years ago now? <laughs> Quite a while, uh, as employee number 11 or something like that. And I, I am software lead writing uh, Python drivers for basically all of the products we release and kind of keeping on top of that game and keeping stuff released and, and uh, 
taking a break to work on 32 Blit has been really quite interesting. All right, yeah. So 32 Blit, it's it, that's the um, the subject of of this uh, of this. Uh, I was going to say interview, but let's let's call it chat because uh, I'm 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 curious uh, uh, about that. So, how would you describe uh, the the 32 Blit? Is that is that a, a, a device? Is that a platform? Is that how do you, how would you describe that? So it's. Um I think the way that I would describe it, it was, it was kind of my concept originally, um, is that it's the piece of hardware I wish I had back in the kind of early nineties that I could have developed games for. Because obviously back then everything was very different. The technology was a lot harder to get into. The, the cost of things like dev boards was massively higher. As a, as a hobbyist, you had no hope of even touching this kind of stuff. And, we're really fortunate that, you know, today you can grab a, a powerful MCU off the shelf. You can stick it on a PCB that can be made for a reasonable price. You know, there's, there's such a wealth of, uh, features, sensors, uh, devices out there that we can, we can play with. We can integrate and, and kind of produce a product like this. So it's for me personally, it was. I wanted a standard platform, hardware platform for developing kind of retro inspired games. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so it's the hardware, but you also work, you're also working on the firmware, <clears throat> the firmware, sorry. Um, so that's been released. It's open source, right? The firmware? Everything's Indeed, open source. Yes. Hardware, firmware, everything. tools, content, everything, everything. open wow. source. So, was the um, the open sourcing was that like from from the beginning you were you, you were going to open source everything or was that like okay we need to, we need help we can't do that uh, alone so let's open source that and have uh, people help help us uh, it was all open source from the very start it was actually part of the pitch we launched the product on Kickstarter because it's it's quite a nice marketing platform for presenting something that's new. Like we've done Kickstarters before. We obviously run our own shop. We produce lots of products. Most of them we, we don't go near Kickstarter because it's just not necessary. But for this, we kind of wanted a, a focal point for launching the product and the Kickstarter campaign seemed like a good choice. And you'll, you'll see in the Kickstarter campaign, there's kind of a description about what 32 Blit isn't. And that is, it's not your classic handheld console is it has no drm it's all open source it's not region locked it's designed to be hacked you know it's it's the anti handheld console if you like because everything about it is not how traditionally this stuff is done and we appreciate that there are other products out there that also hit those goals like we're not the only ones there's things like the rg boy uh game duino uh i think you know adafruit have got a couple of things around that kind of space as well but i think from my point of view, what I felt they were missing is they, they just didn't have the power to do the things I wanted to do. You know, I, I want to play with uh, like 3D engines and I want to mess around with fixed point math to do crazy effects. I want to do alpha blending. I want to render everything in 24 bit color. You know, it's not, I don't want to move black and white pixels around a tiny OLED. I want something more than that. And that's what 32 blit is. I think the uh, power of 32 blit exceeded our expectations somewhat as well, which uh, has been, has been interesting. Yeah, it, it, when when I read the, um, the 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 description on on the website or on uh, on Kickstarter, it, there's a lot of awesome hardware on 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 the 32 bit. So can you 
you know one of you go over what's uh, what kind of of um, device with a chip is there uh, what kind of sensor so um well i'll talk about the the chip and the display maybe and then phil could take on from there indeed the th i think the thing that made 32 blip possible as in made it into something that could achieve all those things that i mentioned before that i really wanted out of it was this particular chip coming out from stm so it wasn't um it wasn't like uh we had a plethora of choice it was this particular chip coming out that suddenly sparked the idea that this kind of product could be possible um you know it it's fast it runs at 480 megahertz that that's fast for an mcu right you can shift a lot of a lot of instructions uh, at that kind of speed it has a megabyte of ram on board which again is pretty rare in this kind of space the flash is tiny you know 128k compared to the rest of the specs but that tends to be the case within an mcu package anyway flash is very expensive to manufacture in that technology so we put an external flash on to kind of support it um but it, you know it's also it's got a hardware floating point unit it has incredible instruction and data caches so like even Even when you even when you write bad code, it kind of runs fast. It's 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 a very nice piece of hardware. And I've written plenty of bad code to prove this, of course. <laughs> and the th <laughs> because because of the choices they made, and the other thing is, it's part of their value range. So the actual chip isn't incredibly expensive. Like you know, I, I can't remember exactly, but you're talking around five dollars, which for all that power is pretty incredible. And then on top of that, because it's an ST part, you know, it's got huge number of great peripherals so things like the dpi interface for the video which is what we use to drive the lcd that means that we can have that kind of rock solid v-synced 60 well i think we run it at 50 hertz 50 fps uh, display in 24-bit color which you're just not going to get out of a, a an spi connected display right it, 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 and and things like that dpi interface it's entirely um hardware accelerated so you know we write to a frame buffer in memory we tell the what's called the LTDC peripheral, where that frame buffer is, and it handles the rest, right? It tells us if V-Sync's going to happen so that we can get out of the way and let it do its thing. But it, all of this kind of happens in the background. This part's amazing. It's, it's just a really great chip. It's it really got a is. huge number of features. It's cost-effective. And literally everything that 32-bit does is done in that chip. You know, And, and you know, we've got audio running in the background. We've got... Um, kind of the image flipping happening. You've got the engine itself running, timers, tweens. You've got there's all these different processes that are going around in the background. But still, the user's code has like 90% of the chip's performance available to it. It's, it's, a, it's a really nice part. I could carry on talking about it almost indefinitely, so I'm going to stop there. <laughs> yeah. the, there are so many features we're not even using as well. For people following along at home, it's the STM32H750. And because we're using a not ball grid array part, we have to pick and choose what features we can actually wire into it. it they become kind of mutually exclusive in a way. Which is, yeah, uh, so you get kind of out-of-pin errors quite regularly <laughs> as you try to, you know, the, the uh, DPI interface alone uses something like 18 pins. It's a pin monster, yeah. Oh, it'll be a few more than that, about 20 pins. Uh, and the, Phil mentioned a good point. The other thing is that this chip's available as a TQFP package. So you could literally hand solder one of these at home. We use a machine for it, obviously, but it's not its not a completely inaccessible format for people to experiment with, which is cool. You can get oscilloscope probes on it as well, which is uh, proved to be very handy in the 
<laughs> the debugging process. Uh, and then the only, the only other bit of uh, hardware that I was going to talk about was the screen. And we are super nerdy about screens. <laughs> like, I will not buy a device that has a poor screen on it. So, you know, we, we've gone for a really nice three and a half inches. It's a, a good size screen for the uh, handheld console. You know, it's, it's, I think it's a nice balance for the size of the device versus the amount of it that's screen area. Because you want a lot of screen as much as you can fit, really. Uh, and also it's an IPS display, so the viewing angles are excellent. And yeah, those two in combination, I guess, are the heart of 32-bit. Then you get onto things like the controls and the rest of it that Phil can talk about. Indeed. So when uh, wiring up the controls, we went for the, the standard four-face buttons, D-pad, plus an analog stick, start and select, which is kind of your basic classic console uh, controller layout. Uh, we actually had enough spare IO pins that had no other real use that we could route a couple of them to the left and the right and call them hack headers so that people who want to add either left and right buttons, some sort of analog triggers or whatever they can, whatever they might want can add them to the side of the console or, or use those for, for hacks and mods. We've got more IO routed to the top of the device for the programming header, uh, for resetting it externally, for connecting stuff to, to the internal I squared C bus. So, if you want to throw away all of the code we've written for it and, and build something completely different that interfe- interfaces with peripherals, then you're, you're quite within your remit to do that. It gives you the flexibility. Uh, and then to back that up, we've got a little vibration motor connected to a PWM so you can get force feedback in games, which is is quite nice, quite quite cool and a little handheld as well. Uh, we've got the DA- well, it's the amp rather, which is connected to the audio output, also on a PWM. Uh, then we've got the. It's actually on a DAC output. Oh, it's a proper DAC output, yeah. It is effectively a PWM. Same difference. Uh, and then we've got then we've got the tilt sensor. I can't remember the part number, but that gives us a kind of tilt steering control. And John put together a really nice kind of sand demo where you can turn the blit around and sand particles will slide from one side to another and skitter over each other. It's just really satisfying. So we've kind of gone all out with, I suppose you'd call it a relatively modern remit of input and output features, but in a classic console kind of style. So you, you can imagine... You're taking stuff from the Mega Drive and the SNES era, and you're updating that to have force feedback and tilt controls and all sorts of of other new modern conveniences. It, it gives you a little bit more ability, I guess. And then you and can go around. Oh, that's go a really important point. But uh, you know, back in the ni- early nineties, we didn't have MEMS sensors, or, or you know, I'm pretty sure we didn't. But if we did, they probably cost thousands of pounds and were the size of a trunk. You know, a, a fridge or something uh it, it's only the fact that technology's moved on so much that these kind of features can be added so cheaply to a product which means we can kind of go for that retro feel and then kind of pitch towards uh retro gaming but augment it with those kind of modern extras like the accelerometers the vibration sensors things like that yeah yeah um but, uh, <clears throat> nate my my co-host on the show uh, said a few few shows ago that right now it's a very good time to be a geek because we have access to lots of stuff for yeah what as you said about I don't, I don't know a tenth of the price that uh, that it was a few a few years ago so um, yeah when when you talk about the the the, the thirty two blitz it's uh, it, it sounds 
like a, a really great device and i can attest to that because i have i have uh, one here and i have tested uh, many of the examples i'm st i'm starting to try and understand how to write my own programs for that but we'll, we'll slow down on changing it I think, <laughs> so that gets a bit easier yeah, yeah this beta phase is uh volatile should we say <laughs> like the, the the api the the build tool chain everything like changes pretty much week by week but we're trying to kind of hone in on the right experience for everybody so that when it comes out of beta we can say right we're more stable now we're not super stable but it, it's not going to change tomorrow right you can have a bit of fun for a while <laughs> We'll see, I, I, I didn't know that it was uh, hackable as you, as much as you said as with the um, the the, the uh, I square C that that square C you said um, and and yeah. the uh, yeah the button. So it's, it seems seems to me that it's it's a game console, but it could actually be anything. Um, could could be science, maybe could. scientific. Well, not maybe not maybe scientific uh, tool, but. You know, to, to control stuff uh, in in a home automation uh, system, or or enhance the games that would run on the device using uh, I don't know controlling um, LEDs, external LEDs, or things like that. Um, it definitely could be. I think we've learned in the past to not try and be every everything to everybody, uh, especially when we're we're kind of scoping out a new product, and you you get a bunch of people around in the company, maybe four or five throwing ideas off each other. It's almost as important what you choose not to include mm -hmm. as what you choose to include because you can end up with, I don't know if you know the reference, but Homer's car or whatever it is. From the, <laughs> there's an episode of The Simpsons where he designs a car, right? And it ends up with like 12 different horns and like, it's just ridiculous because it's <laughs> kind of like just adds everything he fancies yeah. at the time. And with, with product design uh, of the type we do, it really is a it is a balancing act between uh, you know, and it's not just about price or uh, difficulty to assemble it, or whether the parts are available, or you know how how what quality of part you pick. Do you pick this one because it's sixteen bit, or this one because it's twelve bit, or whatever? A lot of it's about not making the experience confusing for the user, mm -hmm. because anyone can throw every feature onto a board, charge two hundred pounds, and say I'm done. But actually, the I think the more important thing is saying look, these are the valuable. Uh, features that can work together to actually produce an experience. So while you can do a lot more with 32-bit, we're very, we, you know, we, we have been very opinionated about what we've actually presented as the, as the final package. It's it's not an API feature, effectively. No, we're not. But we do, we don't we're not trying to make it easy for people to use it for home automation mm -hmm. control or for this or for that. We're definitely all about the game development. That said, if if you can. You know, set up a tool chain and, and get code running on the device. You you can ignore all our stuff and do what you like. Yeah. It's open source. At the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what's what's the um, what's the target audience for uh, thirty two bleeds? Is that developers, Nos nostalgic course? developers of of a certain age? I'd say between thirty and fifty, something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is basically exactly me. Yeah. <laughs> me too. So. Uh, yeah, I, this is definitely uh, this is a, a passion project, as in something we wanted to have. Not necessarily, you know. Obviously, we want to share it with other people and get people involved in it and, and sell units because we're a business at the end of the day. But we, we definitely built this one for us, and I think I, I don't think it's the wrong choice because I'm pretty sure there are enough software developers out there of a certain age who 
long for kind of retro gaming from the early 90s, you know. We've had such great kind of return from the beta backers already that it just kind of shows we're at least somewhat on the right track. Yeah. Oh, that's been incredible, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said you had uh, uh, feedback from the backers. Um, the campaign on Kickstarter was uh, funded in eight hours, so you already had uh, uh, an indication that it was... <laughs> Something that this is true, yeah, yeah. something that would uh, would please um, your audience. That kind of thing's interesting because you know we're not a huge company, but we do have quite a large audience already. <laughs> you know we've shipped something like four hundred thousand parcels worldwide since we started, so oh. our customer base is quite big. Um, our, our mailing list is quite generous. So when we do something like a Kickstarter, as long as we're not silly about it we can hit those kind of targets relatively easily because we've got quite a wide audience to kind of transmit the message to on day one and say, hey, check out this thing. And, uh, you know, we're we're really fortunate that we have customers who are genuine fans of what we do. You know, they'll come back time and time again. They'll try new things that we do. You know, not not everything we do is perfect. And sometimes, you know, that's what it is. And we try to deal with those situations uh, as best we can. Yeah, not to toot our own horn too much, but we've we've worked hard to earn that reputation with customers whereby when we do a new thing they will trust us they'll be on board straight away and they'll they'll be enthusiastic about it which is really exciting and really nice place to be in really yeah yeah uh, yeah R really encouraging um let, let's come back to to the, the the platform what are or will be the ways to develop games for the 32-bit we will have a uh, lure which will be the kind of entry point for people who don't want to get too involved with C, who want to be able to get up and running fast and want to basically just write code, throw it up the device and, and see results quickly without having to have the entire tool chain and all the libraries and editors and stuff necessarily installed on the computer. And then we have C++, which is the one step on from there, or if you've already got some development experience, that's where you, you go in to make games that are really fast, performant, or to port Doom, or to, to just do crazy things. Uh, and they're both fun, right? This is the key. I think Lua is definitely more focused at the, yeah, it's more focused at beginners, but actually personally, I think as long as what I want to achieve, I could achieve in it. It's a damn sight quicker than getting into it, you know, developing something in C++. And, you know, I'm not going to have to worry about hard faulting or messing up my memory allocation or anything like that. You know, it's, we've had it running on device before. We had to kind of cut it out of the build because the APIs were changing so fast we couldn't keep the lure bindings up to date in any sort of reasonable time scale. So we pulled it all out while we let things stabilize so we can bring it back in towards the end. But actually when we had lure running on the device, the performance is still astonishing. You know, it's a, it's a fast chip and it, the instruction caches and the data caches are really, uh, really make a big difference to that. And uh, coding, you know, I, I, I had an example doing like real time soft shadows that was well. all written in lure. It, it's not, you can still achieve great things, I think is the key. It's not like it compromise. It's definitely one of those uh, cases where as soon as you've reached that level of competence that you're writing a game that's too complex for Lua, you're, you're probably ready to move on to C anyway. And to kind of get that. It's still a fair hunt, but... It's you can definitely do more. You can definitely do more and do it more quickly um, if you write in C++, obviously. I mean, that's the nature of the beast. But what we're trying to do with the API is give you um, a really great set of tools that mean all of those kind of really hot loops aren't in your code base, they're in our code base. 
So things like, uh, you know, rendering, uh, blitting screen or doing, uh, stretch blitz or, uh, processing large amounts of data, like doing the audio. Mode seven, I think is a good example. That kind of thing. What we try and, what we try to do is hide that all behind kind of a couple of simple API calls. So whether you call it from Lua or whether you call it from C++ is, you know, it's a few function call overheads. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, any plans for, uh, for Python? And um, um, I know, I know there are because we talked about that yesterday. <laughs> Probably not from us, at least initially. We promised Lua and C++, so we're going to completely focus on that. I would be, <laughs> well, I would be astonished if someone doesn't get MicroPython running on it in relatively short time because there, there are people who specialize in this. You know, they just literally just grab it. They'll have it done in half a day probably. But we've never ported my, MicroPython to a new device. It's not part of our ecosystem, so it would be uh, it would be an undertaking for us to start it now, and we just need to focus on the core experience. Okay. Um, now, I, I'm a developer, so I know how to write C plus plus, and I know how to place a sprite somewhere and detect a collision with a whole with a, a wall. Uh, but what I am not is a graphics designer or a sound designer. So how would I actually program a game if I I don't have any talent in in those fields. <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't have to have talent to produce something, right? I mean, I have no artistic talent at all, but I can at least, I, I still have fun with things like the demos and stuff, like doing the tilt demo and uh, various effects. Uh, that's kind of what tickles me. Um, but for people who just want to have a go at the coding side, we're including a bunch of assets. We got this great guy called Sam who came over and actually spent some time with us in the UK. He's from Germany. Um, he's a pixel artist who does some great stuff on itch and we saw his work and we were like, we really want to commission some sprite sheets to go with the device so that our, you know, our, our users can basically use them as, as a jumping off point. Um, so he's put together, I think it's like eight sprite sheets that are, is it 128 sprites per sheet? Whoa. So 128 by 128 in the size is eight pixels, which makes it uh, 64 six. sprites. 64 sprites. Is it 16 by 16? It is. Sorry, yes, it is. Numbers, Phil, numbers. <laughs> yeah. trying, to, trying, to, trying to do very simple math in my head on... on it's, 200, is it's 256 sprites. Shockingly. So shockingly basically you've got like a, a... You have like a catalogue of over 2,000 sprites, I think it is, wow. that you can use in your own games. And they're all completely royalty-free. Again, we, we, we paid him to produce the work completely for us. Again, it's it's open license-free, everything. You can do what you want with it. That's cool. We already have someone using the pirate sprites to make a very uh, piratical version of uh, Bomberman, I think. <laughs> yes. That's really sweet. <laughs> That's nice. But they're, quite, they're, a nice, they're a nice set of sprites because we kind of... Uh, it was great to get them over, actually, because we could go out, have a couple of beers, we could kind of talk about what we wanted to achieve, and we came up with these four themes for kind of classic game-style con uh, concepts, and got them to put this sheets together so we've got like a shoot 'em up we've got a rpg style one we've got a kind of a what do you call that kind of alien versus alien breed style top down it is a top down shooter top isn't down it? shooter yeah um and there's one of the platformer shooter, as well we've got a platformer set so the idea is that it's kind of something for everybody but you can mix and match them if you want to and then there's a few extra sheets that just contain kind of dingbats and symbols and things like that that you might want to bring in as as assets or icons or, or whatever. So I think 
I think you can get started quite easily. The other thing that's nice about doing retro-style games is that while while great pixel art is a true skill and it takes practice and, and you know an eye for the uh, an eye for it, just the restraint of only having an eight by eight pixel square, I think, lets people achieve a lot more than they could with just a a, a blank canvas as because they wanted it to be. Yeah, and. You know, I've drawn some icons that I'm not totally ashamed of. So that's, <laughs> you know, that's something. Yeah, it's like... I was going to say my Rainbow Ascent game, all of the graphics are just rectangles. There's, there's no sprites in there or anything. Yeah, yeah. it looks great. Yeah. That works, yeah. So I think I think it's about being creative. And you did an Asteroids clone as well, right? Oh, yeah, that's just... Uh, uh, which is entirely vector-based, just geometry and nothing else. So it's not necessarily about drawing, you know, sitting there and churning your way through five different spite sheets to get the perfect look. It, it's about try something new, experiment. See, you might not need sprites at all. Your audio might be entirely algorithmically generated, yeah. or you might use the <laughs> tracker, or you might ask a friend, or you might transpose some existing music, or you might just play an MP3 file, because apparently that's possible now, according to one of our beta backers. <laughs> cool. yeah. So, like, you know, there's... there's uh, I think the only limit is really kind of just just what you prepare to try it's all about experimentation at the end of the day and and we'd hope that people in the community want to remix each other's projects as well because you know we're making everything open we're hoping that people will want to share their code so someone might put together like a great engine for some platformer action someone else might pick that up work on the sprite sheet improve it pass it back over someone adds the audio track you know why not yeah. it's, it's possible to work that way no problem so once once I have I finish my, uh, you know, top-notch game. Um, the, the, the way to distribute that, if I wanted to to pass the game to someone else who has uh, a 32 bit, is that just you know um, just one file or a zip file, or is there a, a plan for uh, some kind of uh, centralized platform to for for games distribution, or is it is it just you know uh, put that on GitHub and get it compiled and run it? Well, Phil knows the ins and outs of this more than I do, but uh, I'm kind of architecting the project, so I'll tell him what I want it to be. <laughs> and then hopefully it'll be like that. So the idea is that um, we'll have like a custom... Buy- Obviously, we want people to share code, but they, you know they don't have to. It's up to them. Um, you will be able to pass a single binary file to someone, and that will contain like a packed header with all the details, with icon description, the name of the game itself some of the metadata that uh, kind of travels with it and also includes the executable code and includes all the assets. So you you can stick it on an SD card, plug it into the device and away you go, or you can use our command line tools that upload it via USB serial. So you can just say, you know, uh, 32-bit prog file name or whatever. That's how it would work for C++ projects that are actually compiled, so everything's built into that one package. When it comes to Lua projects, they would always, I, I think at this moment, would always run off SD card. So you'd have a folder that contains your various Lua scripts, your various asset files that you want to load off the SD card. Uh, and yeah, they, they won't be quite so tidy to pass around. Maybe we'll come up with a way of packaging them into, say, a zip file or something in the future that allows it to be handled on, you know, uh, unpackaged on the fly as needed. But right now we're kind of focused on getting it working. So Yeah, it'll probably be a, a collection of files in a folder. Do you have uh, anything to add to that? 
Uh, it's worth noting as a consequence of how we built the system to allow you to develop on your desktop computer. You can take your 32-bit game and you can distribute it on Windows, Linux, and even in a browser via Scripton as well. So it, it gives you that opportunity to share the game beyond just people using the 32-bit. So you're not putting a huge amount of time. Perhaps if you're uh, really looking to take games development seriously you can reach out to a wider market, maybe put your game up on itch.io and then people with the blit can download that version and everyone else can download the other versions. And it's just kind of, it it makes them a little bit more free, I suppose, in that sense. Yeah, that's interesting. The fact that um, that I, I could run the examples and, and my little games that doesn't do much right now on my computer before uh, sending it to the, um, to the, the, to the, the device because, well, that takes... Uh, it takes a little extra time each time, and so the um, the, the 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 cycle of of development is uh, is shortened by being able to run that on the on 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 my computer. Yeah, I think it's it's something we could never have stopped people from doing if they wanted to redistribute their games to other platforms. They've got the code, they've got the source, yeah. they could go through all the effort required to port it, like you say. But just making it possible straight out of the gate, why not? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, like the experience is so different. I mean, I, I've. I've had times when I'm trying to debug like a slightly gnarly problem in a project and I, it only happens on the device. So I'm having to transfer it over for every test. <laughs> oh yeah, this is very true. And it, that's, that's no fun. I mean, it's all right to have to do that now and again, but I'd much rather load it up in Visual Studio, smash through a, a dev debug cycle over and over, step-by-step debugging. You know, 99% of the time you can get all the way to something that will run on device just like that. Perfect. Why, why wouldn't we want that to be yeah, a thing? Yeah, sure. It's always it's always uh, complicated to debug on on the device. Um, well, it is. We're we're adding tools to the API for that, so you can expect that to improve over time. Things like uh, being able to stream via the USB serial. Oh, you can actually do step by step debugging, but you need to buy a like a plugin programmer. Well, this is like a standard ST uh, programmer. Um, but we're looking at tools to help you stream debug information via USB serial to log files on the SD card as overlays on the screen. But I think the thing. Not quite related to that, but the thing that surprised me more than anything else is that when I'm developing on my Windows machine, which is a fast machine, right? It's it's stupidly quick. When I'm running Visual Studio in debug mode, the speed of the compiled code is not that far off the same speed as it runs on the device in release mode. Nice. I like that's pure chance. But actually, if I'm running something, and if I'm getting like five milliseconds per frame rendering on on my desktop, if I put it on the device, it's going to be roughly the same. I mean, obviously, there are edge cases where if I do something that's completely pathological and happens to run really fast on an i7 but is awful on the ARM architecture, then I'm not going to get that experience. But it, it still surprises me to this day that I can hack away on my Windows machine and like come up with something ridiculous. I've got like, I was doing some stuff with uh, 3D rendering. And I wasn't being careful about it. I was like throwing floating point numbers all over the place to just get something on screen. And you run it on the device and it's actually okay. You're thinking, wow, there's so much potential to do more with this if you really spend the time on it. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. I, w- I was amazed that the, the, the speed of the, uh, of the different, uh, demos and examples, uh, even the, the 3D rendering is, uh, it's just, it's, so fast. I mean, uh, it's viable, right? Yeah, and that's what matters. And yeah. we're not even that skilled at it. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a part time bedroom 3D coder. <laughs> like, <laughs> there are people who are way better at this stuff than me. And if I can get something up, you know, I, I've been developing for a long time, but I I don't know 
anything about like optimizing the, yeah. the the assembly or using things like the SIMD instructions or anything. Like, there's so much scope for someone who knows what they're doing to come in and just say, "Right, let's smash this. It's twice as fast now." Yeah. Well, what the hell were you playing at? <laughs> that was so easy. <laughs> <laughs> We had someone with the uh, frame buffer copy, I think, come along and say, oh, you can use DMA2D for that. You just have to do four passes or whatever. <laughs> yeah, which we're going to end up influencing. Uh, it's great. Yeah, a guy in China who's got a device, he backs us on Kickstarter, jumped into the Discord. He's like, oh, I noticed you're doing da-da-da-da-da. We can do it with DMA2D. Emailed me the source code, which we haven't integrated it yet, but we're totally going to do it this way. Why wouldn't we? And, yeah. and suddenly, we, you know, he's just kind of fixed that for us. Nice. I mean, that's great. It worked yeah. before, but now it takes way less time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, talking about you know, so this person in, in China, do you have an, uh, an idea of how many uh, beta units have been uh, sent? And did you send that all over the world? We did sh definitely ship them all over the world. I, th I think it was about 350. Is that right, Phil? Somewhere in that region. Was, in that yeah, something part. like that, because we've got the remaining Unix still to go out with. We're basically waiting for the plastics now, for the actual case itself. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was something like 350, and I would say most of the communication with respect to the beta has happened on the Discord, yeah. um, which is the perfect place to do it, really. And out of those 350, there's maybe kind of 20 really involved contributors, which I think is a pretty good hit rate, actually. And, and a few of those are like way above and beyond, who are just incredible. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and, and pop up more often on, on Discord, but probably to get information more than to provide information. But uh, yeah, it was the community there is great. I mean, I, when I, I got on the on the server, I was uh, greeted by uh, almost everyone, and uh, yeah, everyone is uh, eager to help. So it's it's really nice. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good atmosphere on there, and it's quite funny as well because, as as we said earlier on, there are certain technical challenges that are completely fresh to us. We know they're possible. It's just a case of kind of slogging through it. And uh, there's a, especially there's a couple of people on the Discord who will just jump in and have a go with you. Or like every step of the way, they're there, and we're throwing bits of code backwards and forwards and copying uh, links out of the documentation and discussing possible ways to deal with it. And they're kind of like. You know, it definitely makes the experience more fun than Phil and I kind of just staring at each <laughs> other in a room. <laughs> well, it, it really is just us two who do anything really related to software at Pimeroni. So this is almost like suddenly having a team of people bashing away on problems, and it's it's really quite rewarding and quite fun. Yeah, the, the power of the uh, of the open source community always amazes me. It is, and and you know, we said it earlier on, but it, it's so important to us that this is open source. You know, as, as a company. We love to sell hardware, but actually, what you know, you, you can't you can't contain something like this. If it's got if it's got legs, then we want people to use it and, and use it as as varied you know in as varied a way as possible. Uh, which is why things like running it in the browser is just great because it means you can just throw an example over to your friends. You just send them a link; they can have a go at your game. Then uh, it just makes the whole thing way more fluid. I think it's, it's much more interesting, and it makes uh, having distributed teams a lot easier when you can just uh, okay, hold on, I'm going to put that on the browser, and then refresh the page. Okay, I did that. Yeah, that's cool. Give me the the, the, the thing. Yeah, it's um, it sounds it sounds really interesting. Um, so how f far or how close are we from 
some sort of release, uh, maybe a, a 0.9 version that uh, would be uh, viable for uh, for the, the the wide wider audience. It's um, well, we so from a purely logistical getting that out the door situation, all we're waiting on is the plastic. So that that that's the case itself, and the you know you've got a device in your hand now. Yep. And it's it's kind of constructed from layered PCBs, and it actually works incredibly well. I think we're quite proud of how well that works. And I love it. I love it. I, I, it looks cool, right? Yeah, it looks cool. But obviously, we promised with the Kickstarter that it would come in a you know a proper plastic shell, and we've spent a lot of time on the shell, and we've tried to make it as nice as we can, tried to make it look great, and, and uh, just basically work well. So you know, we we need to ship that as part of the the pledge. Um, having said that. We've still got tons to do on the software. So, you know, from Phil and my point of view, it's no bad thing that we're not quite shipping out the release units yet. But, you know, there's going to be a point at which our factory in Taiwan says, here you go, here's a load of plastic, <laughs> go nuts. And, and I guess we're just, uh, you know, it's not it's not the best answer, but I guess we'll scramble at the time, won't we, Phil, to tidy up as much as we can. We're currently mired in some really difficult problems, I think, is there? Well, it's a couple of really difficult things, plus all of the, well, the Lua stuff. stuff luckily, done. we've done the Lua stuff before, so th- there's work to do. It, yeah, we know how to we, do it. We it's know just what we're doing and getting front. it done. The specific thing we're working on at the moment is what I mentioned to you earlier on before Phil came into the call. It's, it's, it's this idea of getting the uh, making proper use of the external flash that we put on the device so that you can have a library of games installed simultaneously. Now, worst case, it's not actually a, it's not a stopper, right? If, if we have to skip that, we can still release and let people get on with the device, fix it, fix it later. But we'd like to get that kind of thing sorted before um, putting the release units out there. So. Well, it lets us do one really awesome thing, which is to preload all the release devices with a whole bunch of software and just send them to people and say, that's have true. a bunch that of games nice. to play straight but out of the game. Again, it's not, it, the, we've got nothing that's kind of, we've got loads of stuff on the list. Like it's terrifyingly long, <laughs> but there's nothing on there that's an absolute stopper. It's just, it's that, that is that personal pride thing of, I'm not, I'm not, I don't really quite want to let it go out the door <laughs> without that getting sorted out first, you know? But there will come a point at which we know that those release units are going to go out. And at, at that point, we're going to have to put down tools on certain aspects of the system, just tidy up that um, day one experience for people and get the, you know, the what we have, get that ready rather than worrying about anything we don't have at that stage, basically. So, yeah. so it's getting there. So to help you with that uh, long list, how can, can people contribute to? Um, to the, the the platform. I mean, not not. I'm not talking about writing games, uh, although that could help if you want to provide games uh, from from on the device. But is there something people can help you with that's directly uh, uh, linked to I don't know the firmware or some some hardware drivers or do you do you need, do you need help in uh, in this area? I would say that if if people have a device and they have the skill set to kind of make that hardware sing, as in they already know how to do this stuff. If they want to jump on the Discord and chat about it, or, or even if they don't have the hardware, actually, but the, if you can read a data sheet, you'll kind of understand what's going on. If they want to jump on the Discord and, and talk to us, then we're all ears. Like, the code the code is there. It's on GitHub. People can dive in, have a go. Bits of it are quite painfully messy and still need to be kind of 
worked over, refactored. Um, but I think, you know, on the whole, we're doing okay. And actually, for people who've got the devices, almost one of the most useful things they can do is build projects, have have a go, do their own thing, and let us know where the API falls short for them. Let us know where they're finding bugs. Find the pain points, find the holes in the documentation, etc. And, yeah, things like documentation. So every every little helps, as they say at the end of the day. It's not... Um, we're not looking for one person to ride in on a horse and fix everything. You know, it's going to take, take time for us to fix everything. So even if if someone is not uh, a developer or uh, doesn't doesn't have the the device, that you talked about the documentation. So people can help with the documentation too. Do you, do you have uh, some some kind of uh, special format? Some things that you know that needs to be fixed in the documentation and uh, that can be contributed to. I think probably during this phase of the beta, we're not quite ready for that yet. But obviously, as we come to that release, one of those uh, kind of tasks to get it ready to go out the door is to get the documentation a bit more tidied up. Um, and, and well, we, we can't, we're going to have to get to a point where we kind of lock down the functionality and say, that's that bar breaking bugs, basically. And, and that's what gets documented. The problem we've had to date is that obviously documenting is kind of not something that developers like doing when there's a big list of coding <laughs> yeah. to be done. It Tell is me. just, that's the case. Tell me about but it. equally, <laughs> the API, the, the way that we're working with the platform changes so fast at the moment that you can't really nail anything down. So it's, you know, th there's going to be a point where we have to. And actually the Core 32-Blit API, I would say, Phil, has been pretty stable for a few weeks now, actually. We had a flurry of changes early doors. Yeah, <laughs> for a few whole weeks. Yeah. yeah, but a few weeks is good, right? Compared to, it is, yeah. We yeah, used to have quite. situations where someone would come onto Discord and say, hey, I haven't been online for two days, my project won't build. And then you just have a literally like a full list of all the changes that have been made. Like you need to rename this to this, you need to include this header file instead. You know, like there would be a, a swathe of changes that they had to deal with, change all of their projects to fit those changes and they've all been good changes I'm, I'm happy with every single one we've made like they're just just much more same it, it's naming, finally the pieces of the puzzle coming into place I think for us as well exactly but for the last those questions the last two weeks I think it's all been about the firmware and we haven't actually touched the core API so we, we may be at a stage where we can start thinking about actually uh, locking that down documenting it better but I think another thing that's quite nice is obviously you can't get away with no documentation as much as I'd love to um, <laughs> the the API is smaller, like the surface of the API is small enough that people pick it up very quickly. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm really obsessive about APIs being human and not like, yeah, you know, I've written Win32 code. I've written stuff in .NET and like, we don't, we, we, just to do something simple, you don't have to create like a do something simple factory factory controller or whatever. <laughs> it's it's literally like you write screen dot rectangle, and that's how it's meant to be. That's the point. I understand you completely to, your point. <laughs> if you want to make it more complicated, go ahead and make it more complicated. But for us, we're going to just tell you to use the variable that's called pen, and then call rectangle, and like that will put you a rectangle on screen. So, you know, for us. The API, because it's pitched at beginners as well as more advanced people, the API is super important. It has to be human. It has to be understandable. Uh, the more advanced developers, at the end of the day, can just swap it out. They can change it. They can re-implement bits they want to, if they want to do. People already have, more or less. Well, that's it. If you want to manipulate the frame buffer directly because it's faster, 
whatever, people can do that. That's the nice thing. There's no real restrictions. So uh, our API has to focus 100% on doing what you expect it to do when you tell it to do something. And to do the uh, heavy lifting, because it's also going to become the back end for the Lua API, it has to do the, lev- the heavy lifting where it doesn't make sense to attempt to do that in an interpreted language. So if I want to put a sprite on the screen, or say I want to put a 5x5 five five block of sprites, I'm doing like a boss fight, right? So my boss is 5x5 five five sprites, and he jumps around the screen, and he rotates, and he alpha blends in and out. You do not want to be doing that in Lua, right? You want to call screen.sprite, pass in the transform matrix, pass in the global alpha setting, and tell it where the sprite sheet is in that single one call, because behind the scenes, all of the tight loops, all of the hard work is being done by our firmware, our API. Um, but that's what lets you get away with doing kind of big, impressive stuff in Lua on a device like this. So it's critical. Well, it's a, it's a really interesting platform. I'm really looking forward to you know producing something for it, and um, and uh, yeah, uh, hopefully uh, see uh, the, the the production units uh, pretty soon. So uh, just to come back on that, that means that um, it's not possible anymore to get uh, better units now that the um, the uh, Kickstarter is oh, we're uh, torn on finished. this because we kind of love them. They they turned out so much more nice. Like I, I think almost if we'd have known they were going to be this good, we might not have even offered the plastic shell because there's something about it, the aesthetic of it. It feels quite nice in the hand, you know. It feels good. The weight's good. The controls are surprisingly good considering it's you, you, you've got limited um, granularity when it comes to PCB layering. So it, yeah, everything about it, I I probably prefer it to the. Final, I don't know. Maybe I prefer it to the final unit. We'll see when they come through. Um, I think the difficulty that we have is when it comes to pricing is that customers look at something and they look at something else and they will make a comparison. And the the, the hard truth is that the BT units cost us as much to make as, in fact, they may be slightly more expensive than the retail units because plastics, while the molds are expensive, once you paid for the mold, the per piece costs are very, very low. Whereas those PCBs and having someone like screw them all together is quite expensive, right? Especially when you do it in Sheffield rather than in Shenzhen. So <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think, I think there might be scope for it to be available. But the other problem is because it's not fully contained. We weren't comfortable putting a battery in there by default. You know, there's all sorts of like little compromises, but it's a better unit. So we, we knew what we were, we were getting, uh, when, when we uh, ordered that oh, on, yeah. on Kickstarter and. Uh, we made that super clear, right? That was really important that we told you exactly what was going on. I, I think a few people were disappointed it wasn't more beta. Yeah. <laughs> we had people complaining saying, can you just send me a bag of parts? I'll deal with this. Like, no, you really do not want to so, deal with this. <laughs> I know I'm going to keep this one. Uh, I mean, as long as it, it will live and uh, yeah, there's no reason to think it, it won't live uh, as long as uh, uh, any other. But yeah, I'm going to keep that. Um yeah, my goal is to try and and do some stuff uh, for my daughter. So, uh, lo, lo, you know, yeah, she's five. Uh, yeah, she's, uh, five uh, pretty soon. So, I'm, I'm just discovering this uh, this platform too, and uh, so I'll be uh, I'll be on on Discord and getting information from the community to help uh, on that. Are you more excited about C plus plus or Lua? Um, I know both, so I don't know. I've uh, I've 
I've uh, used Lua in in the context of uh, World of Warcraft, and you can uh, develop uh, uh, add-ons for World of Warcraft in in Lua. So, um, so yeah, uh, I like Lua. I like C plus plus. Um, I'm going to try both. I just think, like, I know a lot of people mention MicroPython, but the the elegant, like, the Lua is not perfect. We all know that, but the elegance and how lightweight it is and how nicely it binds into C, C++ projects. It's a cracking project. Like, Lua is a... I think it's underrepresented. I think it's underappreciated. And I think if their arrays started at zero, that would be different. <laughs> I feel like, genuinely, it's that stupid, isn't it? <laughs> I think people dislike it for some of the warts, yeah. Um but for, for embedding on a device, it's so incredibly lightweight that you get that performance that you want, almost like it's running on the bare metal. And, you know, as a language, it's also so tight and so um, succinct that you, you, it's not like syntax soup. There's not 10 different ways to do the same thing. And I really appreciate it for that. And I think it's a good choice for a platform like this. You can You can do a lot with it. Interestingly, about a uh, a year ago, we had a web-based IDE up and running that let you write Lua and hit F5 and see it run next to your code in, in real time, which it just kind of uh, reflects the sort of thing we could do with that, which is kind of, kind of cool. Yeah, that'll be coming back. And I think it's the it was the debug uh, build cycle was just great on Lua because like, you literally just edit the code and hit reset and it's like it's up and running again with the new version. So I think, yeah, for a lot... For a lot of people, that's going to be the experience that makes 32 blip for them. Yeah, and if you can manage to have um, uh, mass storage, uh, USB mass storage on on the on the device, and that, that's going to be even greater. So you can plug the device on the PC, edit the code, reset the device, and no, nothing else to nothing else to do. So it's great. That's it. I mean, we're looking. You know, obviously the the tools around 32 blip are coming together at the moment, but we're we're kind of keen to try and bring them into one single suite where you can edit your sprites, edit your audio, edit your maps, write your code, all in a single space, probably web-based, because that's how the world works now, right? You know, you want to be able to use it on a tablet, you want to use it on your Chromebook, you want to use it on a Mac. Um, so the idea being that you almost have like this, you know, as an IDE, it's it's not as complex as Visual Studio, but it's not as simple as say the Arduino IDE. It's somewhere in the middle that it has it has intimate knowledge of what kind of assets um, 32-bit uses, and it could let you manipulate those and work on a project with everything in one place. So I think that that will be a great experience if we can get it right. That sounds like make code. Could oh, is, is that the Microsoft thing? Yes, uh, I haven't even looked at it. Is it any good? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I've, I've looked at it. I, I don't have any device that I can use with it, but, uh, it seems like, uh, you, you, you have, you abstract, um, uh, you know, uh, what, what the device can do and say, okay, I want, I want to blink an LED, uh, not, obviously not on, on 32 bit, but on, on other platforms, I want to blink an LED and you, you grab a block then and then okay, so add this, some devices and buttons and uh, this, this wouldn't be block based, obviously. I mean, I, I think what we're thinking about is uh, a much more uh, grown-up IDE, mm -hmm. if you like. Yeah. So that said, I have talked to uh, some people about possibly getting MakeCode Arcade up and running on the device, and it should be theoretically possible. But again, it's not not one of those things we're 
we have the skill set to do in house. So it'll be something we'll we'll kind of wait around and hope will happen. Yeah, I think it. Um, I think it's possible that something like that may come along, but um, I think our our interest in what could be produced requires a, a level of of advancement beyond kind of block level programming. So. You know, devices are already out there that are pitched entirely at that experience. I think we'd see ourselves as like where you go after that. And and when you want to write some code, maybe you've done a bit of Python or something, but, you know, you're comfortable with the idea of writing code. At that point, I think that's when 32-bit can come along and, and become a tool well, I think they- get involved. Great thing about that as a pitch is it, it gives people the opportunity to, to learn code. Lua being a prime example that is applicable to writing actual mainstream games and, and using in the game industry. Yeah, that, that, I'm sure that uh, uh, code clubs or uh, things like that, things for the for uh, for young children that they would be interesting with uh, by uh, such a platform because yeah, you know, kids love love games. So if you can teach kids how to program and then tell them, look, you, you do that and you can go home with your, uh, your, your console and play your game back home, they, they, will, uh, they will like that. I think so. I mean, I would have thought that um, I was into programming from a, an early age. My dad was a programmer and I got into it on a spectrum way, way back. And I guess I was probably around 13-ish when I started writing programs in BASIC. And I think Lua slash Python probably take roughly the same kind of uh, they're a lot more complex there's a lot more depth to them than basic on the spectrum but I think at around the same age if you have the aptitude for it and the interest and you're prepared to put the time in I think you can you can get stuff done so it still works from a young age but it's not kind of the I think in in the UK schools start talking about scratch at around eight years old and probably 32 but isn't isn't quite for you at that stage, you know, maybe five years later, you've had some exposure at school to initially block programming, then maybe you've moved into kind of Python and stuff. But ultimately, I think the the biggest interest for this will come from people who not necessarily don't know how to code at all, but they already know how to code, but they just want to write some games because that's the fun bit of coding, right? They stay to sit at work all day or, or at university doing... Uh, whatever it's called now, computer science, I guess. I don't know. Or they sit at work all day writing banking systems and in the, in the <laughs> evening they get home and they just want to, they just want to blitz some pixels man, and, and make some noise. <laughs> and that's, that's what it's all yeah. about. Yes. Yes. Well, guys, um, thank you very much for joining me uh, for this, uh, this interview. I have a feeling that you're going to be back when, uh, <laughs> when the device is, uh, is shipping to talk more about, uh, about the final product. Um, Namely the um, the uh, the breakout garden. Uh, I knew thing. you were going to say breakout. Garden. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had no idea. Go ahead, <laughs> because that's uh, yeah, that's that's a really nice uh, uh, concept. So um, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're going to be back on the on the show uh, before long. It's been a pleasure. Uh, where can people find more about uh, about you guys on on social media or or you know, somewhere else? Follow us on Twitter. We are by far the most active on Twitter. So just search for Pimeroni and we're on there. Other than that, we're terrible at social media. Because <laughs> Twitter's like 280 characters or less, we can just about deal with that in a day. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it was a pleasure to have you uh, and to talk about the, uh, the this awesome platform that the 32-bit is. 
Um, thanks again for uh, joining me. And uh, as I said, uh, you will be uh, you will be back uh, if you, if you want to. Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> love to talk about Breakout Garden. There's a good story behind that one. So, oh, now, so now I'm interested. Now, I want sorry, to. Yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, thanks. Uh, have a good evening. You and, too. Uh, talk to you soon, guys. Bye bye. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. So that was uh, our interview. Uh, once again, I would like to thank uh, John and Phil from uh, Pure Manish uh, for uh, uh, accepting to uh, appear on this show. Um, it was it was uh, it was great. I mean, the the, the device is great, and uh, the the people who do this uh, this device are great too. Uh, really, uh, it, it's a shame that. Uh, that they are going to sell it with the plastic around, as as we said um, <laughs> earlier. Earlier, uh, before we started recording, we we talked about that together, and then I, I talked about that with uh, with with them. That it's it's really nice. Um, I'll, I'll put um, some picture in the show notes. Um, it's uh, even though the the buttons are not labeled, and and you know it's it's really a, a raw design. It's it it's really nice, like 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 that. So. Uh, well, maybe they can. Uh, maybe they have a, a few extras, and uh, they they will send that. That that's that's going to be a collector, I think, <laughs> someday. I, I kind of need the case for me because I'm I'm a bit of an animal in pants, and I break everything. <laughs> so uh, the more case and plastic layers, the better, you know. Because I I I don't know what I I just. I'd say that I'm accident prone, but maybe I am a little bit mm. accident prone, and so um, yeah. But it does look well, really neat without the case. Maybe a clear case, you know, like back when that was really popular in the 90s, you know, yeah. five, five years ago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's... Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe I can 3D print one. But the, it's very inspirational to see this, this device. It, there's, it just makes me think back to my days of when I did, um, I did some game programming in my youth. Um, and... It makes me want to, you know, revisit all that for sure. I mean, the, to to take take a little time and maybe you know figure that out. You know, I, I've always enjoyed the platformers, and I had my own little take on a platformer. But the um, that would be fun to really revisit and and look and and do and and submit that up. But the uh, but yeah, that'd be that'd be really fun to play with for sure. I I would get a huge kick out of out of that. I just need um, a little more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't we all uh, yeah. the great thing is that you can you can grab the um the uh github repo and compile that for linux or windows and you know make your game without even having a device and then you know uh, once you get your hand on the on, on the device flash that and of course there's going to be problems because it's not exactly the same uh the same platform but uh a lot of a lot of things can be uh, can be made with the um the the, the windows or the, the linux version of of the the game so hopefully uh, yeah hopefully this is uh, this is going to be a, a great product and uh, i myself uh, i'm still uh, trying to to find uh, an an idea i always find it a lot easier to have a goal so i have a, a, you know a project in mind and and then with that in mind, explore uh, APIs than just you know running examples and uh, thinking mm, that could be that could be great. So I'm I'm going to try and think about something to to build for the for the t- 32 bit. So yeah, I, it, I'll keep. Uh, it always form. makes me think because I, I still have all my uh, my assets from from my 
Amiga programming days. Mm-hmm. I, it's really not that hard to convert those graphics over, and I could still use the the Disney Animation Studio from like 1993, and probably mm-hmm. just you know, because I mean, it's yeah, be well. I mean, I don't, I don't, what, what, I don't remember what the resolution was on that, but no, I did most of my my uh, drawings in 320 by 200, so I'm sure it can scale fine. Yeah, it's 300, um, it's 320 by 240. So. Okay, well there we go. So we could, I yeah. could definitely do that. Just be a little, and you can still box, have uh, <laughs> you can still have a status bar at the bottom or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that just that might be kind of a, a fun excuse then to to tie in some of my old tech, my retro tech, into helping to, you know, build some of these things. Mm-hmm. So yeah. All right. So I think it's uh, almost time to uh, finish this uh, this episode. So we're going to. Uh, do what we did uh, last time, and uh, hopefully uh, in, in the next episodes and uh, the, uh, in the next episodes to come. That's the uh, thingiverse thing of the episode. And for this one, I selected something that I've printed uh, a few months back, and it's called the Monster Mouth Headphone Holder Clampable. So that's basically that's a huge um, support for uh, your headphone. And then you you also print a, a a screw, and then you can clamp that to your desk and uh, and uh, fix it. I can let me get mine. I also will put some uh, nice pictures. So and I added some uh, f- some how do you call that uh, things, you know, to to avoid uh, uh, making uh, indents in my on my on my desk. So yeah, and there's the, the, the screw. You put like little rubber little rubber feet on that? Yeah. Or something? Yeah. Okay. Rubber feet, yeah. 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 Nice. So you can see that I've printed it uh, um, a few months back and it's already um it's already bent a little because I <laughs> put it a little bit too much. But it's it's really sturdy, so it's gonna it's gonna last for uh, yeah, for a long time. And uh I just I'll just print another one when this one. Yeah, that that would be a fun that'd be a fun one to redo and and change it for my situation here because I'm I have you know I'm in I'm in my basement I'm a little bit of a basement mm-hmm. I'm a, I am my own troll and uh, <laughs> put it here on the, put it on my ceiling here which is you know floor joists and just kind of maybe just change yeah. how that's done put it at at a at a, uh, at a right angle and then I could have yes. all that stuff routed above me that would actually be yes. really neat uh huh and then you can submit that to Thingiverse and uh, we could feature it in a in a future episode <laughs> yeah why not. I can, yeah, uh, yeah. can even do like a little, like you did, and do like a little Fusion 360 video on on that. Yes, oh, that would be <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I have to look and see what the pitch mm-hmm. is on that on that screw. But uh, yeah, that's very yeah. cool. I like that. That's handy. It's like a little. It is a little problem solving right there. I like practical prints. You know, yeah. things that for sure solve problems. So, or, or create new ones. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> well, then new, that's new problems to solve. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which creates some problems. You have to find a solution for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Someone else. Well, I can create a problem, and someone else can find a solution. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm. I'm a master right. at creating problems. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I can try and find solutions for your problems. <laughs> I'm <am> hoping. <laughs> right. Um, so it, for us, it's been a, a very short recording, but the episode is uh, is going to be quite long because. Uh, but this interview was an hour, so it was a lot. It's a lot to chew on this episode. Lots, of, lots of meat. 
Lots of meat in this one. Very few bones to spit out. Lots of meat. So exactly. It's great. And if you're vegetarian, lots of eggplant. Lots of eggplant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> eggplant parmesan. <laughs> extra sauce. Extra sauce. Wow. <laughs> it's, al- it's always better with uh, extra sauce. Yeah, it, it always is. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for everyone who downloaded our previous episodes uh, and for the, the, the kind feedback um, we have uh, received. Uh, once again, thanks to uh, John and Phil for uh, uh, appearing on the show. You can get in contact with us by sending an email at feedback at makerscorner.tech or by following us on Twitter. We are at makerscornerpod. If you want to chat with us in a more lively fashion, you can join our Telegram group at t.me slash makerscornerpod. Unless otherwise stated, this podcast and the interview are released under a Creative Commons by Attribution Sherlock license, which means you can do pretty much whatever you want with it as long as you credit us as the original authors. And if you publish anything based upon this episode, you have to release it under the same license. Well, uh, thanks, Nate, for joining me once again uh, this fortnight. It's always great seeing you, so it's it's a good time. Yeah, even though it's, this week has been quite short, but yeah, yeah it's always know, a pleasure. A little, little high and by, and it's, you know, a little, little chat yeah. here and there. We're good to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we will be back in two weeks with another episode of Maker's Corner. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. Ciao, ciao. See you. Listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.